0: If you were traveling across America, you might, in the heat of the late morning, at the edge of a large city or an extensive forest, come across a large hand-painted sign. It will only be there if you aren't in a hurry. You will only notice it if you have no place in particular where you need to be. The sign features one word, and no matter your history with the type of entertainment it advertises, you will be intrigued.
1: If you are lucky, you will continue on. Thinking a sign that old couldn't refer to something that still exists.
0: Unfortunately, it still does. But only if you aren't looking for it.
2: You are following a sign marked Zoo. 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 Zoo.
1: Zoo. Zoo. 12
0: coda. Michaela Kespar, February 18th, 2019. I have been putting the pieces together over the last couple weeks. Well, that's not true. I've been putting the pieces together over the last several months, but I got the remainder of the file from Kansas City about two weeks ago. And I'm trying to make it all sound like something believable. If I'm taking it to Gideon, it has to sound rational, and not like, well, like how it sounds. Time has been running out for a while now, but... I came in this morning to an email that I'm meeting with a supervisory committee to discuss my recent job performance. I have 17 days from today to have my case made. I might lose my job for this. I might lose my job anyway, but this is worth it. Exposing cover-ups and crimes, some perpetrated by the people in this very agency, is worth it. Corruption can't be allowed to go unchecked. I started with the FBI to fight this sort of thing, and I'm not about to walk away from what, at my best estimate, is about 39 deaths and three disappearances. So let's put this together, starting with Kansas City. I've got Nash's report. It is considerably more thorough than Sanchez's, but still missing some vital pieces. Agent Nash interviewed three different households in the area with various results. The first was a couple named Twilight and Jim Decker. Twilight and Jim had just moved out to the area to start a farm, had expressed condolences about the missing teenagers, but stated they had not heard or seen anything until the investigation started up. This interview seems shockingly normal. Very standard. Nasha's second interview was with a woman and her son. It... It sounds like they acted pretty cagey and weird, but also were adamant that nothing out of the ordinary happened to their knowledge. It's Nash's third interview, though, with a woman named Maribel Chase. That one gets me. It's… Well, it's definitely strange. It also starts off pretty standard. Nash asking about sights and sounds, about knowledge of what happened exactly what you would expect. But then Maribel, um, well, said this when Nash asked if she knew anything about the area that could be helpful to them. When my daddy moved us out to this house, I was still just a kid. Didn't know much about nothing, but I knew I wasn't to go near the cornfields. Well, I listened about as good as most youngins told not to do something. I went out one night near dusk and wandered out to the edge of the fields and peered in them. At first I laughed. My daddy didn't know nothing. There wasn't a single thing to be afraid of. Well, I was running around the edge of the field trying to catch fireflies when I first saw him. He was moving just beyond the first couple of rows of corn, about the size of a small child. My size, but very thin. A frail-looking thing with a head of black hair and skin as fair as milk. He didn't move like a regular boy, though. It was almost like his body moved in sections. Feet first, then legs, hips, and on up. It was disjointed and confusing. Lord, I'll never forget it. He looked right in my eyes like he was looking at my soul and judging it right there. Then he went off into the field. I ran back in the house to the kitchen and sobbed on my mama's lap for what felt like hours. Daddy went out to the field with a shotgun and when he came back, he said, Mary, I told you to stay away from those fields and it'd be best if you listened. A good girl like you is gonna be safe, but best not tempted. I knew then I'd seen the devil in the cornfield and he spared me. I'd be willing to bet he didn't spare those kids. After she said that, Nash just chalked this up to her being crazy and didn't think much of it. I mean, of course he did, most agents would, it doesn't make sense. It's a ghost story, a misremembered childhood incident, it's nothing. But all those things taken into consideration, it's not nothing to me. It's another clue, right? And Nash did mention a weird light, but dismissed it as lights from passing cars. But that's not true, is it? I couldn't figure out if it was the corn which everybody keeps going back to, or if the spook light was a factor. It's all over the place. I got Titanium to point me to some resources the last time I talked to her, and according to a a 3am Google search, my best theory, is that the spooklight has formed some sort of symbiotic relationship with some cleverly disguised Devil's Snare. This sounds, well, not sane probably, but listen. Devil's Snare could easily pick up those cars and move them where they needed to be. It would also explain the destruction of the vehicles It explains why the kids just went missing. They were, well, for lack of a better term, digested by the plant. The Devil's Snare could have easily hidden in and disguised itself as corn. Nash pointed out in his report, and I pointed out when I read the report by Michelle Sanchez that there was a car just in the middle of the field with no trail leading to it. Getting it in there would have done so much damage, but there was none. Likely, the vines, well, stalks, picked it up off the road from above and pulled it into the middle of that field. The car was all scratched up, probably, from the spikes on those stalks. The weirder thing here, though, is the spooklight itself. There is some lore that backs up my theory. Spooklights have a history of luring curious people out to a secluded area where another creature is waiting. I'm not sure exactly what the spooklight gets out of the arrangement, but my theory is plausible. My question is about the people that live there. What did they know? What did they experience? Maribel Chase saw something in that field. Was it a local kid just playing a joke, or was it. was it something like that kid I saw on that tape of the zoo? I have to wonder if there are certain areas where monsters are just drawn to. These people, they just accepted this as fact, tried to keep it out of the ears of outsiders as much as possible, but they accepted that there was something living in those fields, and sometimes people had to die for it how deep does that belief go do they think there is some sort of demon living among their crops and that they must make an offering and that offering must be blood are they worshiping this thing do they decide on the sacrifices i i'd be interested in going there myself to see nash saw the sign right there usually a sighting of it means Have the monsters been confined to the zoo? If so, did the director take the right monsters back with him this time? I'm so tired. I I need this to be over. Call me, kid. I'm not part of your youth ministry, Adrian.
2: I know that. I'm just, you know, trying to have a conversation with you.
0: You don't call. Like, ever. And I know no one's dead because Mom hasn't blown up my phone yet, so what is it?
2: (sighs) Right to the point. You know, I always admired that about you. How you like to get right to things?
0: Okay, you're trying awkward compliments now. Did somebody die?
2: No, nothing like that. Everything's fine. But Mom has been worried about you. Especially since Thanksgiving.
0: You know? Okay, this again. I told her not to worry. I'm doing okay. It's no big deal. Thanksgiving just slipped my mind. I was busy.
2: That's what I said. But you know how she is, and uh, she got in touch with your priest to check in on you.
0: I thought you were my priest.
2: (sighs) That's not how it works, and you and I know it.
0: Well, you are a priest, I know because Mom hasn't stopped talking about it for at least the last five years.
2: She's very proud. Now, if you're done trying to change the subject so I'll go away, Mom contacted your priest. They are both very concerned. We hear you're only going to Mass once a week.
0: That's how often most people go to church. More than most, I would say. Not us.
2: It's not how often the Caspars go. Even during that stint in college, you went more than this. What's up?
0: Like I said, just really busy. And what's up with Mom calling my priest anyway? That's not how. That's not how parents of adult children typically behave. That's really over the line, and you know it.
2: I would be inclined to agree with you on that, Kay. What else are we going to do? Talk to you? It's easier to get answers from a brick wall these days. You looked exhausted at Christmas. Barely even made fun of Katie with me.
0: I'm just on a very tough case right now. It will be done soon and I'll go back to normal, I promise.
2: How soon? What else are you going to give up for it? You've lost a partner, you're icing your family out, and now you're walking away from God.
0: You know, Priest was really the right career path for you, what with your flair for dramatics.
2: There's my sister. When you know you're wrong, just start insulting the people trying to help. It's not my favorite thing you do, but at least it's you.
0: Please, I'm at my wits end and i'm tired and overworked and i can't even talk about it with hardly anyone so yeah i'm a little absent in other places in my life but this is worth it
2: if you say so look i believe you or at least i want to but the way you've been acting the absence the avoidance giving up on things you care about that's concerning as your big brother i'm scared for you
0: i know how it looks just trust me it's almost over i've nearly got it all figured out just a couple more weeks and i will be free of this able to move on with my life pursue things that make me happy but for now i have to put all of my attention on this lives do depend on it
2: I'm trusting you to make smart choices. I'll tell Mom I talked to you and that you're fine. You are going to pull yourself together. Go see Father Hewitt. Talk to him about what you're dealing with. Confession exists for multiple reasons. Stop being someone to worry about. Deal? Deal. Good. I'll talk to you later. Take some time off and come see us when this is all over. You haven't even heard Katie's latest, and it really has to be told in person.
0: (laughs) Sounds like a plan. Now, please hang up so I can get some work done.
2: Okay, okay.
0: Bye. Really? Who calls their adult daughter's religious leader to check in? Mary Kespar, that's who. That really is over the line, though. I mean, you can't just do that. It's a huge invasion of my privacy and extremely unhealthy. Which right now, I realize maybe the pot calling the kettle black, but at least I have the excuse that if I stop obsessing over my thing, people die. My mom doesn't, she just thinks people will. Okay, where was I? Right, the spook light. When I was doing all this research, I looked into something specific, made a few phone calls. There were reported disappearances and incidents in that same area every couple of years, but due to the residents and even the police in the area being invested in their superstition... There was never much of a fuss made until the incident in 2015. And that only happened because a new sheriff had recently taken over. Since 2015, nothing. No police reports or disappearances or anything. There was one car accident last year where the driver nearly died. But ultimately he lived. Just swerved to miss a deer. Nothing strange or unusual at all. I suspect the zoo sign has something to do with that. It's always right before attacks stop that it shows up. Is somebody driving across the country hammering it into the ground near monster sightings? No, the mail bomber said it moved closer to his hideout every day, and he never saw or heard anybody move it. Does it move itself? That would fit with what Dr. Trinchard said about it drawing creatures in. Does the director collect these creatures? What does he do with them? I I can't tell if it's a public service or something more sinister. He could be building an army for all I know. I also took a look at the murders in Los Angeles. After everything that I've learned since I first read that case, I had to take another look. And I was right too. I now believe that the director came and took Monica Lasu away. My best guess is that he didn't want a loose end. Whatever kind of operation he's running, it's kept very quiet. He also collected Siobhan Wollstonecraft after an encounter with strange creatures. She was under the impression it was a job offer she was getting. It made sense. Siobhan handled herself when faced with one of these creatures. Monica Lasue was more fragile, though. Had experienced a trauma that she was still very shaken over. I want to know what happened to her. Did she get a job under the director, or did something far worse happen? Did Monica survive one horrible attack only to have to face down another? And I haven't even addressed the fact that the director himself may have ordered that first one on the house this Jack person might be his right hand, does the director's dirty work for him just like everybody else. None of it makes sense though. The director has been there at times like that, doing shady things and being mysterious. But at other times he does things like collect creatures that have killed high schoolers or show up in a forest where military, FBI, and CIA have all worked together to recover What I can only assume from context is a nuke that was misplaced and be extremely helpful if a bit ominous. He didn't kill that little girl who was with the chupacabra, and the agents who found that weird little creature in Massachusetts that encountered him were only a little disoriented after meeting him. Not only that, he saved that creature's life. That doesn't feel particularly evil to me. What is the motivation though? I mean, you corral a bunch of creatures in a zoo like that, and then what? Make them fight? Send them out to have them kill people for you? If something looks like an animal attack, nobody takes a second look. It would make sense. It's not just the director, though, and that's the thing. He's shady, he's menacing, he's at least 90 years old, and he feels like a threat. The director is a ghost in the shadows who I do not trust, but there have been other, for lack of a better term, employees. Amos, Dr. Van Zant, Dr. Umbriety, guys who went to pick up that weird sheep, all of the veterinarians and scientists, most of them have been, if not outright kind and passionate about their jobs, they at least didn't seem to be malicious. Some of them cared very much about the creatures they managed, and others were a little more detached, but still had a mostly benevolent scientific curiosity. On the other hand, that whatever it was Dahlia Riddle summoned, Amos said that was a staff member. I can't just ignore that. Sure, her colleagues sounded like annoying jackasses, but... I'm not sure they deserved to be brutally murdered. They were, though. Just on a whim and with no intervention. It seemed like it was just allowed. Plus, the zoo kidnapped Pedro. That's what happened. It lured a group of kids to it and kept one of them in their facility in a habitat like she was a fucking sea otter. The Slender Man also works there, I guess. I thought that was a stupid thing people on the internet made creepy photoshops of, but I guess he's a real guy who just lives in a barn and raises genuinely unsettling children. I don't know exactly what to make of that, but it feels like I should go ahead and throw that in the bad column. There is also the matter of those FBI agents who tried to storm the zoo. I can't find any record of them anywhere. I don't know... I don't know when that happened, or what exactly happened. That operation surely would have had paperwork to go along with it, and reports of those agents, living or dying. Hell, some of them should be here. Who knows? An SD card was dropped off to Hoover in the 30s, so I'm not even surprised I can't make sense of that one. I just know it's weird, and... Agent Goddamn Barnes showed up. Barnes, who was an agent who got tangled up in all the wrong stuff. At least I know he wasn't just outright killed for finding out too much, which bodes well for me. The woman who almost hit the demwav was allowed to walk away as well. Everything I learn is just a big contradiction. I feel like I have every piece of a puzzle spread out on a table in front of me. And I can see the image it's supposed to make, but every time I try and put those pieces together they just don't quite fit. Sometimes this is a shadowy, menacing conspiracy that I don't know how high it goes or who I can trust. And sometimes it's a benevolent, if a bit creepy, operation designed to help both people and monsters. No wonder everybody thinks I'm going crazy. I have exactly two people to talk about this with, which isn't enough, and I can't even talk about all of it with either one. I'm a very particular kind of alone. I mean, I try to bounce some of this off Beckett. He always lets me, but never has anything to say. I don't think he really cares, but is afraid of what might happen if he says that or if he tries to stop me. It's not that helpful for organizing my thoughts or for feeling supported. I talk to Titanium about it a lot, too. She has a lot of good input for me. Good research resources, too, but I can't tell her the classified stuff. Well, I try to avoid doing that anyway. It's it's also muddled anymore, I can't hardly tell. Having somebody to go to with it is nice, though it's even nicer that they believe what I'm telling them. But when I can't share all the pieces, it just feels like I'm burdening somebody with half a story rather than getting their help. Overall, there isn't a lot of talking to anybody else here lately. Obviously my family when they push the issue, but it's not the same. I have 17 days to get my story straight, present it, and see what the fallout is. They have to believe me. I have the evidence and a believable narrative, despite the subject matter. I'm trying to get Beckett to help me. He knows. His input can make a world of difference in this. He won't, though. Beckett is too afraid, and I don't blame him. I may actually leave the Banshee incident out altogether. It could reflect poorly on him, and look the way i see it i'm probably going down there's no reason to take anyone else with me i mean maybe i won't who knows what's going to happen in that room even if i get rejected and put on some kind of leave i will know i've done the right thing and maybe after that after i've tried i'll be able to come back and just do my regular job It's entirely possible, and maybe more likely, that I'll just get fired like Lydia Hanover did. I'll survive if I do. I'm qualified to do something else. No idea what. Go out in the woods and start hunting Bigfoot? Wouldn't be the worst thing ever now that I'm armed with so much cryptid knowledge. Plus, I like hiking. I have to think to pull it all together and find a way to at least not go to prison for how I've obtained all of this. Adrian's right. I need to walk away right now. Tonight, I think I'll go talk to Father Hewitt. You know what? A hike actually sounds really nice. No hunting cryptids allowed, just fresh air. Maybe even get more than 4 hours of sleep tonight. There's plenty of time and I have all the pieces, it's just a matter of assembling them correctly. Whatever happens, there isn't much I can change or go back on now, so I may as well enjoy the few minutes to breathe. Nothing bad is going to happen if I leave the office for five minutes.
1: Agent Michaela Kesbar in cold cases. I'm sorry I could not get to your call right now, but if you leave a brief message, I will get back to you as soon as I can. Hello, Agent Kesbar. I've been keeping an eye on your work. It's very impressive. You seem to be very curious about me, and I'm curious to know more about you. Would well, I be correct, be correct in
2: guessing that you, are, you are, are feeling like, like your current life lacks
1: marks. meaning? If I'm right, Why don't we have a chat, face-to-face, and see what we can do about it? I will give you some time to decide and meet you at the zoo sign when you're ready. Don't worry, you'll be able to find it, and me, when you need to. Created by CJ Hausch, Connie Kitts, and Cody Phillips. This episode was written by Connie Kitts. The voice of Michaela Kespar is Connie Kitts. The voice of Adrian Kespar is Wooly. Original music by Nathan Gandy. Follow us on Twitter at Zoopodcast. Money makes the world go around. You wouldn't want it to stop going around, would you? Give us money at patreon.com slash zoopodcast. We'd like to thank our spooklight sponsors, Yzma Hecht and Lucille Valentine, and our Bigfoot benefactors, Paul Matteo and Matthew Statton. Zoo fact. Have you seen a black-eyed child about? Has it asked for your help? The zoo warns you to not help any of the black-eyed children If you do, your soul is most certainly already lost. If a friend has begun helping one of these children, leave them. Save yourself. All Black-Eyed Children exhibits are relegated to the Discovery Barn.
0: There is some lore that backs up my theory. Hold on, the our poor Michaela. Okay,
1: Michaela needs a fedora because she's talking about the lore.
0: Scully, you're not gonna fucking believe this.
2: (sighs) Oh my god, we can't Mulder in a fedora, a sweet vape.
0: Mulder in a fedora with a sweet vape. Anybody who can use Photoshop, please, God, make this happen. (laughs)
1: Honey, <laughs> you know how to use Photoshop to make that happen.
0: Yeah, but I'm lazy.
2: Thank God. Because <laughs> now I don't have
1: to see it.